Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and this week I'm very excited to welcome Ohad Zak, General Manager for Vicious Syndicate, which if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that Vicious Syndicate is a service for uh, the game Hearthstone, and they run some wonderful data reports that provide some education about popular decks in the game and uh, some other very useful statistics. Ohad, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So looking at your background, you've been a Blizzard gamer for well over 20 years, and my understanding is that you're more or less the founder of the Vicious Syndicate Data Reaper Report. You do a lot of the writing. And um, how did that all get started? Like, how, how did you go from just being a gamer to wanting to do something a little bit more with that? Uh, well, I started playing Hearthstone uh, back in open beta. I really enjoyed the game. I have a big background in playing uh, Blizzard games, so... Uh, Hearthstone, part of its magic, it, that it tr- attracts you with the characters of Warcraft, which are beloved by by many people. So I wasn't interested in, like, I was never like, I never played card games. But when Hearthstone came out, it was like they mixed the card game element with the characters that you know and love. Mm-hmm. So I tried it out, and I was really enamored with the complexity of the game because it does look simple, but there's a lot of nuances and things that you can learn and improve on. It's it's basically a puzzle. Every game is a puzzle. So it gets you thinking. So I really enjoyed that aspect of the game, and I started playing it. Obviously, I played it for fun. Uh, I've never had aspirations of being competitive, even though I got good at the game pretty quickly. I started watching streams. Like one of the first streams that was uh, an avid viewer of is actually Forsen's stream. Okay. Uh, and Forsen, uh, back then, he was a real tryhard. He was uh, one of the best Miracle Rogue players in the world. And Miracle Rogue was the first deck that I learned to play mm-hmm. and master. And I got the Legend first time with the deck. And then, you know, I was a consistent Legend player. But, you know, I mostly played for fun. Uh, and I came, came, you know, it was on and off with Hearthstone. Uh, over the the next few expansions and i also during my enjoyment of the game i also introduced my brother who was in an interview with you previously yes i introduced him to the game because he was interested hey what what have you been playing and i told him hey i'm playing this card game that's really cool and um very quickly he (laughs) fell in love with the game as well Uh, i became really interested in it and i ended up you know, I started to teach him about the game. I gave him like lessons about how to play Hearthstone. Through that and telling him about Twitch and Twitch streams, he became exposed to Twitch, to the online community, to how people in the new age uh, consume content uh, through watching streams. And through that, he became exposed to the esports scene. Okay. To how people, you know, he's like, he watches football on his television. He doesn't watch uh, people play games competitively. Mm-hmm. And he became really interested in that aspect of gaming because the industry in esports obviously has a lot of potential. And it's it's very much in its baby step, relatively. There's a lot of money in several games like League of Legends and so on. Uh, but the, the scene is still very young. And... He was, as a business uh, PhD, he became interested in, in, in that aspect of gaming. Mm-hmm. So 
as we, you know, talk things through and had discussions about uh, the esports scene in general, he, uh, you know, ran into, he stumbled upon uh, Vicious Syndicate, which was a small grassroots organization that had a competitive Hearthstone roster, and they were also organizing online cups, uh, you know, that gave HCT points okay. on a weekly basis. So he became interested in that organization, and we had discussions with them. And we agreed to join in as into the into the organization in order to help uh, the brand grow. And so, around and what time was that? What year was that? That was around that was around February of last year. Okay. That was around February 2016. Okay. Or January 2016. Soon after, I was appointed general manager of Vicious Syndicate in order to you know help the brand grow and try to find ways to make Vicious Syndicate more visible because one of the struggles. In, in esports in general, but in these small organizations in particular, is that it's very hard to gain visibility. It's, There's so it's very much hard content to, out there. Yeah, it's hard to establish it, yourself. It, it's hard to get visibility. It's hard for an individual Hearthstone player to gain visibility. Uh, even if, let's say, you're talking about League of Legends, if you have a really good player, if you're a really good player and you're mechanically skilled, you will eventually get onto a top team and because you're going to outplay your opponent on a consistent basis, right? Because let, let's say you're the best player. Mm-hmm. And you're the if you're the best player, then you will get constantly exposed to the community. And everybody will know your name very, very quickly. But in Hearthstone, even if you consistently uh, play in tournaments, even if you're one of the best players, it's hard to get that kind of consistent exposure. Instead, in Hearthstone... The people who really, you know, get most of the exposure are not necessarily the competitive players, but the big streamers. Right. Uh, there are some cases where you have both, which is like Tice, who is I consider to be the total package because he's both a, a really good competitive player and he has a gi- giant stream. He has a huge following. Mm-hmm. He is like a goldmine. He is like a great example of a successful Hearthstone player, but it's very tough to juggle these two things. And sometimes these things conflict, and it's difficult to do well in both of these areas. So Hearthstone is a unique spot where if you're a competitive team and you want to get visibility, it's very hard to actually do that through competition, uh, even if your players are good. So it's very hard to, to, to get monetize that kind of success. And we've seen a lot of Hearthstone teams you know, fold uh, you can look at uh, Hearthlytics as an example mm-hmm. uh, in the past. And, you know, nobody knew who Hearthlytics was in the public scene, in the community, until they disbanded. And then they became a big deal after they were gone. Right. Uh, so what I identified, I'm not the old, like the first person to identify. There were other successful uh, people in Hearthstone who understand it early. Raynad is one of them. He's one of the smartest guys in the business, in the Hearthstone business, because he recognized it early on that Hearthstone, in order to be successful in the Hearthstone uh, uh, genre, you need not to necessarily be the best competitively, but you need to have good content. And that brings up an interesting point and maybe something we could dive into a little bit, because I I think for a lot of people, and I'm somewhere in the middle, I was talking about this with your brother earlier, for folks who haven't heard it, it's like back, I think, episode 14 of the show, I had him and Peter Whalen, who was one of, who was the lead designer for Journey to to Angoro from the Hearthstone team, talking about uh, different Hearthstone ideas. 
But the game can play as very casual. So the animations are great. It's kind of easy to pick up and play. And so there's a ca- very much a casual component to the game. But then you have sites like Vicious Syndicate, Tempo Storm, other folks who are putting out content about the competitive side of the game. And I think what you're touching on with some of the streamers is that there's kind of an entertainment component that goes along with it, but maybe they aren't, quote-unquote, the best players at the game. And I think that you're kind of talking about that balance of how do you create entertaining, engaging content, but also talk about the competitive side of the game. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on that, how that's been over time? Yeah, so so basically when I came to be uh, general manager, I tried to find I, – I tried to think of ways that – could make Vicious Syndicate more relevant in the community. And I understood the importance of having uh, quality content. Uh, but the other thing that I also understood is that if you, you can do quality content, you can post uh, guides for certain decks, you can, you can have streamers, you can hire streamers who have more visibility, and obviously that will invest, like, it will require you to invest a lot of money into that. Uh, but you could also try and do something that nobody did before. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has experience, a lot of experience in statistics, one of the things that bothered me about Hearthstone is that we're talking about a card game where years into the game, nobody has done data-driven analysis about the game. I mean, this is a card game. Card games are about probabilities. And the fact that there was not there's no information or data-driven information regarding matchups, regarding which decks are performing best against the field. That kind of bothered me. That, that felt like a gaping hole in terms of the knowledge that the Hearthstone community had because you had like tournaments where the casters, they would discuss matchups and they would discuss it based on perception, based on the narrow experiences of whomever they know, but they didn't have accurate information. And a lot of times they were, you know, they were getting things wrong. And it wasn't their fault. It was just that there wasn't information out there. Mm-hmm. And during these the, that time of pondering, uh, I also was very fortunate because one of the people at Vicious Syndicate, who is Felix, together with my brother, was gathering a data resource. He was uh, gathering uh, people's APIs, mm-hmm. track about information from people in the Vicious Syndicate community, in the closed community, because we had a community of people who were playing the game competitively. Mm-hmm. And he gathered a small database of games from all these players uh, in order to you know, uh, better understand the performance of certain decks. And uh, once he had that, then I was thinking maybe what we need to do is start off a project that produced articles about data-driven Hearthstone analysis. And that would be a unique product that nobody else has done, and it's something that's missing in the Hearthstone community. And, and now that's advanced to, you know, we're recording this on a, on a Saturday here on the June 10th, so this will, by the time people listen to this uh Data Reaper report uh, 52 will be out, but the last one that came out was 51. And it, as I talked to it with your brother about, it's the thing I appreciate about it is that the data is it's all there. Um, it's kind of written up like it's a research article, uh, and you have the matchup charts with 
how many games were played between these decks, the win rates and things like that. So it's really quite comprehensive and well done. So, you know, thank you for all the content over the the last year or so. Uh, Yeah, I appreciate the compliment. It's just, for me and my brother, it's just natural to us to do it like that because we have experience in, in, you know, producing all sorts of analysis regarding statistics. So, you know, when I originally uh, designed the, the article, then I envisioned it like like a scientific report. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would you would show numbers, you would discuss these numbers, you would try to identify certain trends and ex- and, the, and explain it to the consumer. Because the important thing is is that it's not enough, and I don't think that the success of the project necessarily comes from the fact that we just have stats and we just show stats to people, but also every statistics that we present. We closely look into it and we identify trends. Like if there's a deck that increased in its win rate, it's not enough to say this deck's increased in win rate because people will see, okay, it increased in win rate, but why? We identify the reasons, the causes. We single out the the, the certain factors that come into play that cause this deck to rise in its win rate. Mm -hmm. So then the consumer, when he looks at the report, he looks at the numbers, but he also looks at our interpretation. And that added value makes the article, I, I believe, succeed because it's not just data, but it's also analysis regarding the data that is easily consumed by everyone. And it's just convenient. Yeah. So Yeah, and I think even with like a research paper that I've written in my field, which is psychology and had several things published, any any piece of data tells a story. And I think what the Data Reaper reports on, on your site each week is, you know, it does a very good job of not only here are a bunch of numbers, here are some useful charts, but here's the story, here, here's what's happening. And, and one thing I've been curious about as a reader and a, and a consumer, but also someone who's kind of familiar with, with how trends can play out is how much the report influences what happens next in the meta. So... For example, if you guys put out there, like, this deck's really good, how much does that deck jump up in popularity, and then people try to counter that? And it's sort of a system that feeds on itself. And since the Data Reaper report has become more, I think, popular and viewed here in the last six months or so, have you seen that affect trends in the data over time? I think that over time, our effect on the meta has increased. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. Let me explain. There's a lot yeah, of sure. uh, one of the one of the most popular opinion. One of the most popular things that people say is, "Hey, you're saying this deck spiked in its win rate, and now it's going to get popular because you said it would, and it would take over the game, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And other people saying, you know, they have a point where they say that these kind of reports they cause the the, the flow of information to run faster. Mm-hmm. So that the meta stabilizes more quickly. Now, with the last part, I kind of disagree with, and I'll explain why. And, and a good example would be uh, the wild format as we see it right now, because we're going to publish the report, the results of the report. And it, wild is a really good example of why I actually think that the reports can help the meta and help balance it out rather than make it stagnate. It, it just depends on the meta because what we do, we provide information to people. And when we provide information, we also provide counters to decks, right? Uh, I'll give you an example. Agro Shaman back in MSG, 
was a very dominant deck. And we identified early on that Reno Mage, which was the Reno deck that people considered to be the weakest on the first week of the expansion, was actually performing best. And part of the reason why it did so well is it because it was the most consistent deck against Pyre Warrior and Aggro Shaman. It performed the best, much more than Reno Lock, which had, you know, earned the early accolades of the first few days of the expansion. And we identified that Reno Mage was potential meta breaker. I believe that if we didn't do that, if there wasn't the resource that was out there, that Reno Mage is a deck that can counter Aggro Shaman to some degree, then the meta would stagnate into Aggro Shaman a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And Aggro Shaman, like, it had like a 53% win rate at its peak, like a little over 53%. That number may have been higher if people didn't know or realize how good Reno Mage was. So Reno Mage, the fact that we brought Reno Mage to light, kind of helped suppress Aggro Shaman's numbers some, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Another example is the wild example, which is the the situation pre-data report where you have Pyre Warrior being everywhere. Like Pyre Warrior is extremely dominant in wild in terms of play rates, sure. right? Because everybody says, oh my God, ships, cannon, it's just absolutely broken with patches. This deck is unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And people don't know that this deck actually, we found, has multiple counters, multiple decks that have really really good win rates against it. And by bringing it to light that this deck is really strong, but it's actually not the best deck in the format, and there are decks that can beat it, Mm -hmm. maybe if we publish the report, obviously this interview will come out after uh, the, much after the report, like a week and so after. Yes. Maybe Pyro Warriors numbers will drop because people will be more informed about what beats it. Like, they run into a lot of Pyro Warriors. Okay, I can play... Reno Mage, I can play. There's Aggro Shaman also has a good win rate against it. There's multiple others that I don't exactly remember, but there's multiple strategies that can beat Pyre Warrior. And if they become popular because we say that they can beat Pyre Warrior, then Pyre Warrior's win rate will drop. So in terms of making the meta figure itself out faster, that is correct. But what we also do, I think, is increase the cycles in which counters rise and drop. We, we cause the meta maybe to be more dynamic. Because let's say one week we see a deck performs really well and people read the report and if they're smart, they'll not just play the deck that we said is the meta breaker, they'll, say that they'll play the deck that beats it. And suddenly we see, after we publish the report, that the deck that was performing really well according to our metrics suddenly dropped in popularity because everybody started playing counters to it. Right. So... It really depends on the meta, because if you have a situation like in Karazin, where Midrange Shaman was like 54, 55% win rate, and our data showed that like nothing really beat it reliably other than like the niche deck that was Freeze Mage, mm. then obviously the problem will be like exposed. We would call it like the data report will cause people to understand, hey, there's no solution here. So that will have a negative effect. But if we have a meta like Angoro, where nothing is truly, no strategy is like broken, no strategy cannot be answered, then you have a situation, a meta right now, which is, I think, one of the healthiest metas in the history of Hearthstone, relatively, because every deck has a solution. So that's interesting, because one of the things that, you know, again, being more of a casual player, I think the information has been really helpful to me, certainly. You know, it's helped me understand the game, 
kind of how the different classes uh, function against each other, how they perform against each other, you know, what decks are performing well, what decks are not performing well. And as someone that is far from having a full set of cards, it almost seems like there's less experimentation maybe since the reports become more popular. Uh, I think the the rank floors have have helped. Um, so if you get to rank 15, you can't go below rank 15, so you can experiment. Same thing with rank uh, 10 and 5. But almost like what's the point of playing a deck that maybe hasn't been tested yet? I might as well just go with one of the decks that's already effective. So that's kind of one thing. Do you think it stagnates deck creativity having these reports? I think a lot of times the report can cause the opposite effect, especially okay. if there's like an archetype that's being uh, underestimated. And we have two examples of archetypes that were ignored. And we kept saying, hey, these archetypes are good and people aren't listening to us, aren't playing them. Mm -hmm. uh, this expansion, one was Secret Mage and the other is Token Shaman. Secret Mage was performing well in our metrics from the first week of the expansion. And we kept saying, hey, you know, Secret Mage is really good. And we're wondering if the, you know, the top level community started giving that archetype more attention and, and start to refine that deck because it was performing so well for like a month mm -hmm. uh, until somebody finally hit one, a rank one legend with the deck. And Token Shaman was the same. Token Shaman was performing really well early on in the expansion. It had a really small representation. It didn't have the Doppelgangster Evolve package. It was still performing well without it. And we kept saying, hey, Shaman is, you know, people were saying the Elemental Shaman experiment kind of failed. The deck was proven to be kind of too slow and cumbersome. And people said, oh, Shaman is bad. You know, uh, streamers started saying, oh, Shaman is kind of one of the weakest classes and so on. And we kept saying, hey, you know, Shaman is not that, not bad at all. There is there is some hidden potential there, especially in the token uh, bloodlust-fueled aggressive Shaman decks. And until somebody took the token Shaman shell and he added Doppelgangster Evolve, which is not, you know, a novel idea. It was done back in MSG. People tried it out. Mm -hmm. It didn't work as well back then, but... Suddenly he did so well with it and it started to spread and its win rate was off the charts. And suddenly Shaman became from being considered to be one of the worst classes. It turned like over the span of two weeks into one of the best classes in the game with arguably the strongest deck in the format right now, which is Token Shaman. So I believe that there's a lot of undiscovered gems out there in the meta. And maybe people are not incentivized to innovate, but to some extent, that's always been the case. Uh, people tend to, uh, especially competitive players, which I understand, I fully understand because they play for prize pool and they play for fame and there's a lot of pressure. So there's a lot of incentive to master the decks, the things that you know, and to master the things uh, how to play against the popular strategies rather than spend time trying to perfect something that just may not turn out to be good. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of risk involved in investing a lot of time in something that may not work out. Uh, but I don't think that the data reports have caused the meta to stagnate. 
there's a lot of examples where we present something and we discover something that's under the radar that people are ignoring mm -hmm. that rises in play as a result and actually increases the diversity. And Shaman is a great example of that because until then, Shaman was one of the least popular classes and now Shaman is back with the rest of them. Only Warlock is a class that's kind of non-existent in the meta right now. Yeah, I think the last report, it's maybe less than 2% of people are playing, playing Warlock. It's... Uh... Kind of rough times for Warlock. I'm sure it'll bounce back one one of these expansions. Yeah, Warlock is in a in a Warlock kind of suffers from the fact that Blizzard, uh, from a positive direction in of Blizzard, which is reducing the power level of neutral cards. Warlock has always been a class that was balanced around its hero power. Both of its dominant strategies, which is Zoo and Handlock, kind of abuse its hero power to an extent, and they kind of complement the hero power with neutral cards because the basic Warlock sack is not very strong because the hero power is so powerful, right? And over time, Blizzard nerfed a lot of early game neutral, like Abusive Sergeant, like Knife Juggler, and they've also, you know, uh, Molten Giant, they, they nerfed it. A lot of the neutrals that Warlock depended on, Sylvanas, Ragnaros, they lost them. They were very important win conditions in slower Warlock decks. And as the neutral pool got weaker, Warlock did not really get compensated with strong enough class card mm -hmm. to kind of uh, offset the fact that it, it just reduced in its in its options. Uh, so Warlock is kind of in in the, in a situation right now in limbo where there's a good direction of Blizzard, which is we they understand that neutral games that the neutral cards that belong in every deck, cards like Piltetrader, like Doctor Boom, like Small Time Buccaneer, are not healthy for the game, but it kind of hurts. Warlock for now because it was the class most reliant on neutral cards. Sure. You had mentioned something a few minutes ago where you said that you feel the Journey to Angoro meta is kind of the healthiest of the various uh, expansions that have come out. And, you know, I've heard, again, kind of anecdotally from a few people that while that might be the case, and there definitely is kind of a rock, paper, scissors feel to the meta right now, that, you know, some people are certainly having fun with that, and others have been kind of turned off by feeling like well you can only play a few decks or else you know you're but you can't take any one deck and kind of ride too far with it i guess how much fun are you having with it and what do you what, what do you think the health of the game is over time what's what's a good mix of you know some decks that are really strong versus this current meta where it seems like everything has a little bit of a chance against some some other classes and decks i think well, in terms of strategic diversity, I disagree. I think that there are, uh, the last report showed that there are 18 different archetypes from eight classes that have a win rate of 48% of above okay. and above. That's like more than we've, I don't, I don't think I remember a situation like that where we had eight classes where we were viable and most of these classes have multiple archetypes, more than one that was competitively strong enough. I think the feeling of rock, paper, scissors, I think it's kind of thrown out too often, okay. but I think the feeling of rock, paper, scissors is rather more of an experience with particular decks in the meta rather than the, all of the meta. There are plenty of decks with well-rounded matchup spread, and there's a couple, which is one of the, the biggest one is Crystal Quest Rogue, sure. that has a matchup spread that feels like you either... It rolls over and dies, or it just dominates, and you can't do anything against it. So rather than 
and JDroid is very similar in that regard. So rather than um, having the whole meta be kind of rock, paper, scissors, I don't think that's the case. There aren't many decks that have polarizing matchup, but I think the deck that had the biggest you know, exposure in the early days of the expansion, which is Quest Rogue, that deck dominated perception for a very long time during Ngor, and that deck is the biggest offender of this kind of feeling of rock paper scissors because it is a deck that is very rock paper scissorish in terms of its matchups um so i think the, the feeling a lot stems from that and, and just the fact that crystal rogue quest rogue that that's out there and that you might have to play against it how much do you think that is shaping what everyone else is doing just the fact that you know you might run into it I think I think the deck is definitely uh, problematic in terms of what it does and the effect it has on the meta. Personally, I know from my own experience that I'm very wary of playing a deck of bringing a deck to ladder that loses against it because the, the when you play like a slow control deck and you're playing in that matchup, you just feel so hopeless that you just <laughs> never want to feel that way again. Right. So okay, I'm I'm just gonna play Pyre Warrior. I'm just uh, I'm just gonna play Secret Mage because I need to play a deck that beats that thing because I can't stand losing against it. So I think a lot of it has to do with that. It's it's I think it's definitely kind of an issue, and and there isn't like a great answer to it. I just think that that deck is definitely one of the least interactive decks in the history of Hearthstone in terms of what it does. And it's another deck that kind of abuses the the kind of broken mechanic that is charge. Uh, I feel like long term, Team 5 will have to look into the mechanic of charge and look at all the charge minions in the classic set and think about whether they want that mechanic to stay the way it is or and, and leave this kind of abuse open. Because I feel like if Questorg was, if the Crystal Core just spawned 5 fives and there weren't these, these cheap charge minions that you could keep bouncing back and forth right. and do 20 damage, then the deck would actually have counterplay. If you could just establish a board of 5-5s five and you would get countered by AoE, then control decks with Dragon Fire Potion or Fail Fire Potion of Twisting Nether, you'd actually have some sort of counterplay to it. But now it feels like as a control deck, you can clear the board and they just, okay, Stone Tusk Boar, hit face, bounce it back, hit face. They accumulate enough charge damage that it doesn't even matter that you clear the board. So I feel that long term Blizzard will eventually have to change charge to what they did design individually. Certain cards can charge but not attack face on the turn they're played. Like charge Devil Sword, the eight mana seven seven. I feel like all the charge minions should be like that. Obviously, there needs to be balancing. They need to make, I don't know, maybe the stats different with some cards in order to not make them completely useless. But I feel it's one of the decks that just abuses it like Patron Warrior did. Sure. Like uh, Giants uh, OTK Warrior back in closed beta was way before uh, Hearthstone was released. But a lot of the broken things in the game stem from charge. Leroy combo when Leroy was four mana with Shadow Steps and Miracle Rogue. Uh, the, the mechanic needs to be, I feel, changed. I think it would be good for the game if they changed it so that it wouldn't leave open these kinds of things. And it all would also open up a lot of design space yeah. uh, as a result. And so, you know, being so steeped in, in the data here over the last um, year or so with the, the Data Reaper reports, and so, yeah, I guess by the time that this airs that the 52nd one will will have come out, which that's that, that'll be a year for you guys, correct? 
Uh, it's actually more than a year because we did kind of take breaks. Okay. Uh, in times of an expansion, we need to uh, give ta- give time from the release uh, in order to do clustering analysis, archetype recognition analysis, and we gather enough data to the first report. So usually the first report of an expansion comes out like two weeks or two and a half weeks after expansion releases, and there's a break in between. So our first report was uh, mid-May last year. Okay. So, yeah, it's a year, a little bit over a year of data reports. What do you think, you know, you mentioned that you you feel like Team 5 should look at, the design team should look at the the charge mechanic. What do you think are some other tweaks or things that could make Hearthstone a better experience for players uh, based on the the data that you've been uh, running here over the past year or so? Well, obviously, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound like someone who has all the answers. And, right, right. and obviously, Team 5 have, obviously, Team 5, they have smart guys. And, and I've seen that they have, you know, they've learned from a lot of their, like, initial design mistakes, you could say. Because it's very difficult to to design a set without making, like, one card that's a bit overtuned. Like, statistically, it's very difficult to have 100, to print 120 cards that are perfectly balanced. But I think that over time, if you compare GVG and Xramas to Longoro, I think they've made a lot of progress in terms of understanding what works and what doesn't work. But in terms of ladder experience, I really feel that the one, the one problem that Hearthstone has right now in terms of ladder is that there is an incentive to play faster decks. Decks that are just quicker. They have quicker games. If you have a deck that has a 52% win rate, I don't know, and its average game length is five minutes, you'd rather play it than a deck that has a 54% win rate, but its average game length would be double that, you know? There's a huge incentive in playing faster decks in order to climb faster, and that kind of warps the meta uh, towards faster decks all the time. Uh, So we've heard that they've discussed it already. Like they're thinking about revamping the ladder system. I think it would be really good for the game because uh, if you would just take out that incentive to always play the fastest decks in order to climb quickly and take out the grind aspect of the game, it would be a lot more fun for people because sometimes the grind, grind is just tiring. Sometimes people don't have as much time to invest into the ladder grind. So like, I'm not gonna spend like, 60, 70 hours to get to Legend or whatever it takes uh, for for different kinds of people. So I think taking out the grindy aspects a bit, reducing that would help the game. And when you've made you know Legend multiple times, how many games does it usually take you to get to Legend each each season? If you keep track uh, of something like that, I haven't really actually kept track. It, it it really depends. It depends on uh, whether I start, you know, some some month I have a bit more time and I start grinding uh, from the first day, and then my opponents are, you know, are a bit uh, tougher because it's it's uh, it's easier to get legend on the twentieth day of the month than it is in the first week. Right. Uh, it it really depends. I I actually I I don't exactly remember what it takes, but uh, it's about probably about hundred games from five maybe. Something like that, 120 games from five, depending on the win rate. If you have like a 60% win rate, yeah, uh, and you need like 25 stars, then it's about 150, something like that, between 100 and 150 games, depending on the win rate. And so, just the the time investment for something like that, like for me, I think that the highest I've been a couple of seasons, I got to rank three. I've hit rank five, you know, more often than that. But kind of getting to that legend point is. 
and I don't think I'm a great player, but it's just I don't have the time or I haven't made a priority to put in the time to try to achieve that. And that it seems like time shouldn't be the only factor to achieving that status. I don't know. What are your yeah. thoughts about that? I think I think Blizzard wants Legend to be like a special achievement, like an achievement that requires, you know, something from the player. And I agree that it's kind of grindy at times, but I just don't think that it should be too easy. Sure. Maybe maybe the the the, the important thing is to make the legend the, the achieving legend not be so dependent on the time that you have to invest into it but rather on your performance during the run or, or whatever it is. Like, obviously, if they need to, to reduce the grindy aspect of it, they'll have to revamp the whole system. I don't have a good idea of what that would be. Maybe they, it needs to be maybe it needs to be MMR-based, fully MMR-based. Maybe it shouldn't be a grind. Maybe it should be just uh, something like, uh, like what happens in Overwatch, where you have, I don't know, placement matches, and then you, you get a certain MMR, and then you can climb... Uh, I don't know, diamond, platinum, whatever. Maybe it should be like that. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but that would obviously change it from being a grindy system into one that is more, you know, score-based or win rate-based. And one one of the things that I think is interesting is trying to measure skill, so to speak. So, like, the different things that go into being, quote-unquote, good at the game, Certainly recognizing how to be a deck builder, like how to tech in different choices, put together a, a deck that synergizes well, counters things, when to mulligan, how to play matchups like that. And also, you know, when you have, have the cards that you're playing, like w- what sequence to do those in. What are some of the skills that you think are most important for people who are, you know, not only looking at the reports and trying to improve their game, but, just, you know, how to play the game turn, turn by turn? What are, what are some of the tips that you have? As if I had to give a tip to a, a player who was, you know, upcoming and trying to get better at the game and was relatively new, I would tell him, first of all, to watch streams uh, of the game because when you watch somebody's perspective on a game, uh, you can get an understanding of his decision making that you wouldn't be able to get if you sit be, you know, in front of the client yourself. Uh, that's one of the things. Uh, other thing is having composure is really important. Uh, and understanding one of the it's also really important for advanced players right but composure is really important in hearthstone because you have to like it's a game that can annoy you a lot you can get <laughs> tilted very easily indeed, by sort of indeed. because there's a lot of because there's a lot of factors that are out of your control there's a rng element to it you can get bad draws you can get unlucky you can get yogged there's a lot of things that can happen in the game of hearthstone that can get, kind of tilt you an important perspective is to like treat every game you know it's just a game it's just one game and knowing to uh, learn from every experience including losing experience and always looking into your plays and thinking how i could do better because the pro players the top players the ones who are uh, they have the most composure because they have a really healthy mindset usually where they would even if they got unlucky in a game they would always look back and say i could have done this differently or i could have played this differently and it, it, you know they're not they only they, they they train themselves to blame themselves and that is a really good mindset to have for the game uh, but you know knowing uh, learning to take in 
advice from other people, which is, as I said, watching streams is the best uh, example because you can see other uh, top players' perspective on matchups and uh, you can understand how the game flows and how they make these decisions. And that's how you build good decision-making. I feel like deck building is a more advanced skill. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to, and that's something that we really try to highlight in the report. A lot of times when we show a new list, we discuss the card choices, why that this card is in the deck now. Right. What is this a response to? This is something that you learn over time, uh, and you learn to analyze over time. And it's a difficult skill because it's not easy to look at a card and say, this card is good against this deck immediately like it's not necessarily true you, know, you can assume that but maybe during the game itself you know your assumption ends up being uh, wrong uh, so that's something that you build over time with the experience but the first thing that a new player should do is look at how pe other people play the game and their perspective on the game and then try to integrate that into your own play and as you get better with experience you become more accustomed to to developing your own uh, decision-making. You mentioned keeping the composure, and yeah, there's definitely, it's easy to go on tilt with some of the things that can happen in the game. And if you're playing 100, 200 games of Hearthstone a month, then if you go on a four or five game losing streak, you can put that into context better than if you play less often and you happen to go on one of those losing streaks, it can be, I think, more frustrating because you have less context for for that. Yeah, it happens. Even people who play a lot of games can get tilted off of a single experience. Uh, the, but the best players who are the most consistent players, since they they play a lot of games and they know how to, you know, forget about a bad experience and keep moving forward. And that's really important. Uh, I feel in Hearthstone because if if a certain experience, outside experience, affects your decision making later on because that is the definition of tilt something bad happens to you and it causes you to play differently afterwards maybe play worse if you learn to if you understand that this is just a game some things will be out of my control sometimes i will get bad draws sometimes things will not go my way but sometimes things will go my way and if you have that kind of mindset you can develop that kind of mindset that will be a big help for you to improve as a player because if you you know if you blame outside sources over your losses then you're not looking to improve right this is also true in other games uh if you're playing a moba let's say you're playing a moba and you're stuck in silver four and you're saying my teammates are always bad and i'm losing because of my bad teammates then you're not looking at your own play right and you're not going to improve. But if you look at that, I could have done this better, I could have done this differently, then you have a better mindset to improve you because you're willing to improve. You're willing to look at yourself and say, I'm not perfect or I'm not good enough here. I need to get better. And that mindset makes players good players. They make It makes them great players. And it's, a, it's interesting, you know, just from that perspective of, you know, if you have a 60% or higher win rate, I think my understanding is that's, that's quite quite good, correct? If, if you have a 60% win rate, it depends where. Right. The win rate is always in contest. Like, if you have a 60% win rate at high legend, like, if you're at rank 100 legend and you have a 60% win rate, it's really impressive because, you know, the matchmaker will put you against players who are also very good at your level of play. 
but you know it, it really depends on on, on on what kind of rank you're playing but always if you have a positive win rate it means you're you're either playing a better deck playing a good deck against the field or you're playing better than your opponents or a combination of both so um, I guess that still means that even if you're playing well that you know 40 to 50 yeah. to 49 percent of the time you're losing which is really yeah I think just kind of an interesting way to flip the statistics around. I always think of baseball. Like if you're a 300 hitter, like that's actually pretty good, which means 70% of the time you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So it's it's hard yeah, to keep I that perspective. You. I understand what you're getting at. Yeah, I understand what you're getting at. Even if you play well, you're going to lose. Uh, even if you make the best decisions, some games you're going to lose. And if you're willing to accept that and, and uh, knowing that before you start playing the game, that you're going to lose games, then I think it helps. One of the things I wanted to, to shift gears towards is that by the time this comes out, the wild data Reaper report, the first one, will have come out. We're actually speaking on the eve of that release. Well, the morning for me, I think it's the eve for you because you're in Israel and I'm in Minnesota, if that's correct. That is correct. Yeah, so thank you for uh, working out the time difference here. Um, so what can you give us, you know, me a preview, and I guess for people who are listening to this that have already been out, but – What's it? What have been the challenges of putting that together? How did that come come to pass? Uh, the challenge Wild is, has been a, a very popular request from from our consumers. They've always wanted us to do a Wild report, and uh, while we do have less data on Wild, we do have the ability to perform statistical analysis that is has a good enough sample size to provide meaningful conclusions. The question has always been finding the right personnel for it because one of the things that we pride on is consistency. Mm -hmm. And as you said, we've been, we're, we're, we're about to enter our 52nd report and it's been week after week where we produced a report and it's coming out 9 a.m. Pacific time on every Thursday and people, you know, We've seen people sit on the website and wait for it for, for the clock to ping 9 a.m. Pacific. They're ready uh, for the because they know the report's coming out exactly at that time. And that consistency, it's not as easy as it looks. You have to be very resilient mentally uh, to be able to produce the, this kind of report on a weekly basis, especially at times where you know not Angora is fun. It's a lot of fun because everything always we, we look at the statistics and there's always like a, a delightful surprise for us. But when Midrange Shaman was dominating Karazhan, it was a lot more difficult to say, you know, you're writing, Midrange Shaman maintains its uh, oppressively high win rate and uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot more difficult to do so that. Is a lot of, uh, so is a lot of the humor that's in the data reap reports, is that is that your voice coming through? Yeah, Most of the a lot of it is my voice. Yeah, a lot of the humor comes from my voice. Okay. Some of it in the class section come from the class experts as well. Uh, we do try to keep it light. It is a it is a card game. At the end of the day, this is a game that people play for fun, and we don't want to be you know overly serious about everything. Uh, and I myself is uh, I'm a humorous person. I like to laugh and I like to make people laugh. So uh, if I can do that, then then great. And if people read my jokes and say, oh, you blew that one then that's okay too. Uh, but um, I think it was before on Girl, it was I think the Hunter and Paladin were the two classes that were getting stomped down, correct? I think there was a yeah. lot of jokes about those that I, I – every week I found those funny, and now it's Warlock, of course. What do the stats show with, with Wild 
right now? Oh, uh, in terms of wow, I wanted to to go on yeah. in terms of like finding that consistency. So it was about finding the personnel, right, that would be able to do that because I don't play wild. I don't play the format, so I don't feel comfortable writing about it. And uh, a month ago, we, we over a month ago, we saw the wild uh, report, the wild tier list from the folks that on um, Reddit Wild Hearthstone mm-hmm. that they produced. And we were impressed with their writing. And we were wondering if, if they were willing to do our report, uh, a report based on our statistics. And we contacted them and said, hey, uh, we really like what you're doing. How about collaborating with us and doing the report together? And we would provide you with the numbers and you would provide the commentary on it. Mm-hmm. And they were really excited for it. And I was excited for it. And they're really not, uh, you know, they're nice folks. They're a good bunch of folks. And uh, we settled on the, the structure and how it will be produced. And the report is uh, the Credit goes to them. That's something that's really important. In terms of the, the standard report, I have a really big hand on it. I I write a lot of the the the, the write up. A lot of the write up is has been written by me and analyzed by me. But in the wild report, uh, the analysis uh, um, comes from them, and it's a product that they produced. So I I give thanks to that, and uh, uh, they're a great bunch. I wonder with the with the wild now. The plan is to release it. Every few weeks instead of once a week? Uh, yeah, it's going to be every four weeks for, for several reasons. One is uh, we have less data on WOWD, so we need to you know wait a bit more in order to gather enough data in order to look at it uh, in a way that is more meaningful and more uh, statistically relevant. Uh, and also because the metagame in WOWD tends to be slower, so it's not as, you know, a weekly report would be just too much for the for, for a format that changes relatively slowly. Right. So we're trying that out once in every four weeks. I feel that it's a good. I feel like it's a good timetable for it. So yeah. And it was interesting earlier saying that, you know, Pirate Warrior and Wild isn't as maybe overpowered as people think it is. It is very strong, but part of the reason why it's so strong is because uh, people are not playing counter decks to it. There are lots of decks that do well against it, at least 50-50, if not beating them all together, that people don't play enough. If, if they played more of these decks that would come to light as decks that beat Pirate Warrior, then maybe Pirate Warrior win rate wouldn't be so high. Uh, so I feel like in Wild, we have a very unsolved meta where people are not as informed as they are regarding standard. When we produce a standard report and we talk about a deck that's dominating, immediately people start counting that deck with all their might, especially in Angoro. Uh, you saw that example with Murloc Paladin. The Hungry Crabs came out after that, and uh, the, the archetype was heavily suppressed. And I, I don't know if it's going to be the same thing here in Wild. I don't think so because power is, is, is very powerful. But I don't think it's going to just dominate the game and it's unstoppable and you cannot do anything against it because uh there are decks that are very good uh against it now is the vicious syndicate is that um, a full-time position for you or do you have another job that you're balancing this with yeah it is my full-time position i don't i i wouldn't be able to um invest so much time if i had another full-time job so yeah it's it's basically my occupation at the moment wow and so how can people uh, support the work that you guys are doing? 
Well, they've been supporting it, which I've always appreciated. You know, the Reddit comments. I read every single Reddit comment. Uh, every every single question, I I take time to try and answer. And uh, so, in terms of you know, uh, vocabulary support, uh, vis- uh, vocal support. Mm-hmm then it, we, we've been getting it a lot and I appreciate every single uh, positive comment. I also appreciate the, the, the feedback, the constructive criticism. If it, if it occurs, uh, I read it and take it very seriously. Another way to support us is obviously contributing to our data. We have right now, we have an option to contribute data through Trackabot. You can, the, the program is very easy to install and it, it doesn't take up much CPU at all. It runs in the background and you can uh, contribute your API and, and be a part of the uh, 2,600 people who are contributing to a report. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to support the HDT uh, data as well. We're working on that mm-hmm. so that people can contribute data from Hearthstone Deck Tracker, not just Trackobot. Okay. Another way is to support us on Patreon. Really helps us, you know, uh, cover costs of servers and all that. We also have uh, a Discord uh, channel for patrons. We talk about, we talk with them, we, we answer questions. You can go to our public uh, Discord as well. Uh, and whenever somebody asks a question, I, I go there and I answer. I'm happy to interact with anyone who has any questions regarding the report, how it's done, uh, what kind of thinking is is behind anything we do, and any questions that they ask regarding a certain archetype or, or a certain card or whatever. So yeah. Cool. And the different um, Patreon rewards, you know, they think you offer different options where you can get coaching with Phenom Felix, who I had interviewed yeah. back in, I think, the fourth episode of my podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, Felix does a great job of breaking down how the data API, how that's all collected. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I think you guys are selling merchandise, too. Yeah, we're also selling merchandise. You can buy our merchandise through Zazzle. And uh, uh, the coaching is, is pretty good value. You, it's, it's, if you look for a coach on the market, it would cost probably more than the Patreon so itself. So, yeah, and Phenom is one of the best uh, players uh, in the NAC. He performed really well, and uh, he was very close to qualifying top eight in the last NA prelims. We devised a lineup that was very unique, and it performed really well, even though the meta that came to be was a bit slower than than we expected mm-hmm. he did really well it was very close went five two just the tie breaks uh was a bit short on that uh so he's a very good player and he's also a very smart guy he's our you know he's our engineer he's our guy in terms of the all the computers and and making sure that the maintenance and the data is working correctly and all the algorithms are working correctly so he's doing a great job there and maybe a final thing, um, you know, just you mentioned Reddit and just the Hearthstone community. I, as a psychologist, I, I kind of find it interesting of the different personalities involved. You have certainly the folks that work for the game and how they interact with streamers and folks who are kind of providing entertainment, how that kind of blends into casting of some of these tournaments. And then you have the Reddit threads, both uh, just the Hearthstone Reddit, which seems to be more kind of a sizzle reel of, hey, here's a play from a streamer or something like that, to the competitive Hearthstone that seems to be a more serious take at the game, more thoughtful analysis of the game. In that kind of overlapping Venn diagram of forces involved in Hearthstone, like what what has it been being involved in those various <laughs> orbs of the orbit? 
It's been very interesting. It's it's really fun to it's really pro- fun to provide a service to a community. It's a it's a it's a new experience because I've been used to you know sitting in in offices or labs, laboratories, and doing all sorts of experiments. Mm-hmm. And I do it, you know, you do it with the germs, with the cells. Uh, you don't interact much. Uh, you you have colleagues and such, but. Uh, you don't interact with such a wide audience, so many different personalities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had interaction with Blizzard as well. Uh, you know, Blizzard really, uh, you know, initially I was surprised, but they, they really love our work. So we've also had contact with them and, uh, you know, all the community, all the players, uh, pro players. Uh, we've also had communications with them. Uh, sometimes a pro player would come to me and ask me for certain information, and I've always been happy to help out in any way I can answer questions regarding lineups because, uh, you know, we take the job very seriously because we know that a lot of people in the pro community, they build lineups and they, in their preparation, they base their information on the sources that they have at Vicious Syndicate. A lot of the matchups information, they, they use it. Mm-hmm. So it 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 becomes a big responsibility for us. And this is why I take it very seriously because I want, you know, the algorithm, the recognition algorithm to work as perfectly as it can possibly be with a high accuracy. And uh, uh, all the data that we provide has to be on top, on point, uh, because I know that people, you know, make decisions based on this information. But also I've, I've enjoyed a lot discussing uh, the game and, and giving tips to people who are not, uh, you know, pro players, obviously just Hearthstone players who play the game for fun, but also want to be better at the game. Uh, it's, it's just it's been a great experience for me. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Wonderful. And the site, I know you have the Reaper reports, then... Back in May, you started doing the the Vicious Inquisition. One of the staff members is doing interviews now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it seems like you continue to, to branch out and, and do new things. What else is on the horizon coming up for Vicious Syndicate? There might be some things on the horizon that I cannot talk about. <laughs> okay. But we, I'll tell you this. We, we always look to improve our products. We always think about how we can do better. Uh, if you look at the first report, the very first report, I'm actually scared of looking at it. I haven't looked at the first report. Like there was uh, um, a Joe who's uh, con- he's controlling our uh, Twitter. Uh, he linked uh, in the university. He linked the first report, and I was scared of clicking on it because I would know that compared to what it is right now, that report was like horrible. <laughs> but it's a good thing because it means that we got better and we got. Uh, better at uh, analyzing the data. We got better data, more uh, uh, quality uh, overall. And hopefully in a year from now, I can look back at the report, the 52nd report, and say, oh, that was terrible compared to what we do right now. We always look to improve mm-hmm. and uh, in terms of expanding both our data and our analysis. And hopefully things will come in f- to fruition that can allow us to do more of that for sure. But I, I just clicked on the Data Reaper report number one, and just I'm looking through it. And don't look at it, please. I, There's it's a it's a PowerPoint. <laughs> There's a PowerPoint. The PowerPoint presentation. It wasn't Tableau. It was PowerPoint. Oh God. But it's no. I mean, I, I think it's useful for people who are also content creators to you know think that this was. I mean, it's not that long ago. It's May nineteenth, uh, twenty sixteen. And yeah. now it's, you know, June 2017 and how much more 
comprehensive the report is, it's it's pretty amazing um, how far you guys have come. And even that first report, I think, is certainly useful. But, yeah, for sure. But I'm, I'm mostly exaggerating yeah. a bit. But in terms of I think it's really important in everything that you do, it doesn't matter what profession you, you're in. It's very important to look at yourself and think, even if you do things well and things go your way, because people took these uh, first reports very, very well. The community loved them and they wanted more of them. And we obviously grew in popularity and traction in ways that I didn't imagine. But even then, we kept thinking how we can do how we can do better, how can we improve, and always look at yourself and say how I could do better. And that's what drives us to. To get better every week, it's a very good, it's a very important mindset. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you started back then on this idea and continue to refine it and improve it. And uh, I'll certainly be a uh, a participant every Thursday and checking in and seeing what else you guys are up to. And I'm happy to be a supporter on Patreon as well. So, yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate yeah. it a lot. Certainly. Uh, anything else you want to tell the audience before we finish up? Like, where can folks contact you if they do want to check in, have questions, or just you know, thank you for the reports? You can find uh, the Discord channel on the Vicious Syndicate website. You can contact me through Discord. You can contact my Twitter. My Twitter is available on the credits of the Data Reaper reports. You can follow me, send me a message, ask any question you'd like to ask, and I will answer you. I'll be happy to. I appreciate all the consumers of the report and all the fans that we've we've gained. Uh, uh, I'm very blessed to have uh, the kind of community that appreciates uh, what we do on a regular basis. And again, uh, I'm all ears for everyone. Final question. What's your favorite deck to play right now? My favorite deck to play right now, it's kind of, it's a bit difficult to say. I probably like Control Paladin right now. I'm really liking it because it counters the aggressive strategies uh, pretty well. Yeah, that's my my deck to go to right now. But I've been playing Secret Mage, and I've enjoyed Silence Priest as well. There's certain there's a lot of decks that I enjoy. And on the flip side, what's the deck that you hate playing against the most? I think I answered that kind of. (laughs) Well. The rogue, yeah. the rogue, uh, for sure, and the Jadred uh, was my pet peeve. Is also my pet peeve. But the thing is, the rogue keeps the Jade. Like a lot of people say, hey, I wish there wasn't the Crystal Core quest. The caverns below didn't exist. But if it did exist, it didn't exist. Then I think we would see a lot more Jadred in the meta. So maybe it's not that bad of a thing, uh, because that deck would be really powerful if not for rogue. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for if you want to nerf for uh, rogue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, certainly if there's anything I can do to be helpful, uh, give me a shout. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you inviting me over. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation as well. Wonderful. Great. Great.